You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to (laughs) Under the Shield presents... Thank you. Fight in Progress with our host... Susan Simmons <laughs> and TomTheBomb.com. <laughs> Who else? You know, it's just so funny to me that that's yeah, that's never going away. You understand? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. it actually adds to the excitement of the show because I'm just plain old Susan over here, <clears throat> getting older by the second with all these people. We have a live audience today. Full we of, do. Yeah, full of first responders, crazy people. That so if they you are. hear some background mocking and stuff like that, it could be yeah. what it is. Jay, you don't have to erase that. You can leave it in. We'll leave it in for sound <laughs> effects. Maybe people will think we're really popular and famous or something. <laughs> anyway, we've got a cool guest today. We do, and we're going to be continuing on. So really what's happened, <laughs> last episode that. was 50, and we're currently running a stress coach class while Susan's doing it. I'm in it. Killing me. And... So we're having, well, everybody that's pretty much willing, sure, voluntold, crazy enough <laughs> to come on and give their story. Uh, we're doing this all in, over our last two days of this mm-hmm. training class. So we're gonna we'll see how many episodes we end up with. Sure, we may get more. Than, we can go on vacation for six Man. months and not have to do anything. Now, yeah, if I'll never have. If, if my uncle ever comes back to Phoenix and lets me go stay at his house in San Diego, I could take a month. But we're going to be down there next week anyway. That's true. Yeah, so look out, San Diego. We're headed your way. Gonna Especially go, Border Patrol. Yeah, going to go see the Border Patrol. Um, yeah, so today, well, on this episode, yes. our guest will be, let's say... We're going to call him Chad since that's Chad, his name. Yeah. Since that's his name. That's probably yeah, that's probably him. the best way to refer to him. <laughs> yeah, we just so don't usually use last Thank you. names, so it's all good. So Chad's one of our um, one of our new soon-to-be uh, stress coaches as of tomorrow, and uh, has a story of his own, as we talked about on the last episode. Um, everybody that's here has a story, and but, yeah, it you know I think it has shocked all of y'all at how everybody does have a story. It really has shocked me. I, I, I mean, I understand that we all have had a lot of different experiences, mm-hmm. but I really didn't think that it was as widespread. Maybe buried. Yeah. Yeah. Even though a lot of the emotional and stress, anxiety, and/or depression stuff is is similar. Sure. But man, what a what things. a diverse sense of. Uh, circumstances that make us all feel that same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Chad, tell us a little bit about you and your background. And Well, before he tells us his story, I, I have a question just because I, I I just had this thought pop through my head and I want to see what your thought is on it. So you, you remember going through FTO, field training office, yep. officer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you remember how you couldn't wait to get out of that car with that FTO, Right. Right. But then that first day, you're out there and you're like, holy crap, what is that first call going to be, right? Do I, do I know how to handle it? What's it going to be? What do I need to do? You had that anxiety kind of building on what that first call is yeah, all about. Yeah, absolutely. 
So now sitting here through the stress coach training, are you thinking about what is that first time someone's going to call you and help you? And God, do I remember all that stuff Susan told me? And <laughs> yeah, I've told them. The answer cannot be when you ask fun. Uh, call this number. 334. <laughs> We're just a clearinghouse for Susan to handle. No, 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 no. Well, it, um, yeah, it, it, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah. But, um, you, you know, when you, when you get that first call out of FTO, um, they've given you all the tools that you need, all the laws that you need to follow. They, right. They're kind of giving you a guide on, on what to do. This is a guide as well. Sure. But um, it's more about just being human. Yes. Right. Um, and it's about being real. It's not about sitting down and, well, tell me about your childhood. Right. Well, tell me about, <laughs> why does that. that make you angry? Right. Why does that, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's more about just having a conversation, whereas um, for me personally, this will probably be more easier mm -hmm. than than getting out of a patrol car right. instead of trying to remember what you can and can't do right. and say and can't say. there's no plan that you have to follow. You know, right. Like, like there kind of is in law enforcement stuff. Right. You, you, you know, you go to a call in law enforcement, you know, you go to an assault, you know, most Certain of most of these. Certain things you need to do. They have to be done and things like that. You know, this you're going to be dealing with whatever life throws at you. Right. Um, and people that you ha already have a very common denominator with right. in that they're first responders. Right. Not just any schizophrenic off the street kind of thing. It's going to be people <clears throat> that you already have something in common with, which is why the program is set up the way that it is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to share my experiences mm -hmm. or things that I've been through to, you know, help somebody because, you know, we're in a, we're in a business that, um, you know, you're not supposed to cry and you're not supposed to, you know, you just shake it off and, and move on. And, right. you know, you got to get through that stigma and let these people know that it's okay to, to do that. Sure. Sure. To, to be human. And you've already been through the toughest thing. And in my opinion, it's the most <clears throat> unnatural thing that, as parents, we have to do, and that's bury a child. And Correct. So I'm not sure that we can th throw much at him with anybody calling. Right. That is going to stump him because he's already been through so much. Yeah. Um, so to give you a little bit of my background, um, I've spent the better part of my life in public service. Um, when I was uh, 20 years old, I became an EMT. Um, moved my way up to being a paramedic, flight paramedic. Um, Can't figure then, out why you left that. That sounds like a cool <laughs> job. That sounds was, fun. Yeah. Why'd you leave that? Um, being a police officer was something that I had always, it's just kind of always been at the, the you know, kind of my, the back of my head for, since I was a kid, something mm -hmm. I've just always liked. Not necessarily something I always thought I would do. It's just something I always found interesting and always liked. And um, when I was working as a flight medic, one of our pilots who worked there part-time, he was a full-time Phoenix police officer. Really? And so I just started, you know, for the you know next year, year and a half, just was talking to him about what it was really like, mm -hmm. you know, being a cop and 
Um, so dang, he had the best of both worlds. So and he gave you all the glamorous shit about doing the job and sucked you in, right? <laughs> you know, honestly, what 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 kind of did it for me though was you know you get you know working in in EMS you get you you work twenty four hours, forty eight hours, seventy two hours depending on what what you want to work and you know I got I kind of got tired of sleeping away from home and sure. Um, you know, or being up all night running calls and then coming home and having to sleep or that just kind of, I just, that just kind of got old Mm -hmm. to me. Is that why you didn't go to fire? We have some firefighters in the audience. We're trying to push their buttons a little bit. They're just kind of giggling and rolling their eyes at the moment. No, I had already mastered uh, playing PlayStation 4 and I already, I already knew how to cook chicken and I knew was, how to work a bark lounger. I knew, I knew how to work an allowance. Yeah, a lounger. So I was, I was good at that. So and I was. We got to put one of the fire in the chamber. You'll get your time. Yeah. You'll get it even shortly. So, uh, um, I just I like the benefits. Uh, you know, even just city benefits, government mm-hmm. benefits, right. uh, and uh, let alone the job. And so I just decided to go ahead and test and and did that. Um. Another opportunity had presented itself that I decided to go try after about five years with Phoenix that I didn't like. Um, so I went back and got hired on with uh, Chandler PD back in 2004 or five. Uh, I think it was 2004. And what was your badge number? 542. I got there in 2004 and mine was 535. Okay, so, so yeah, right, about right about the same time. Y'all cannot remember your wife's birth dates, but you can remember everybody's badge number. My wife's birthday is uh, 20 yeah. days after mine. Well, that's the only reason you remember <laughs> it. But it amazes me. Chris Farrar used to be able to tell me, I'd say, wonder how long he's been in. Well, he's badge number, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, huh? Well, you know, it's remember how to get home, but you know, what's weird is after doing that for a long time, I could, I couldn't remember names and stuff like that, but I, but I could remember social security numbers. I could remember Mm -hmm. birth dates. Um, I got to the point where I didn't have to write, they would have to tell me their name and I'd write their name down. And then I would kind of holler back, Hey, what's your, what's your date of birth or social security number? And they would tell me, and I would walk back to the car and remember it enough to run it. And I could do that. I don't, I don't know why, but that's just something Would I could do. Would it be do. bad to say I remember my ex-husband's social security <laughs> You should never admit to that. <laughs> I don't know. He might want some credit cards he didn't know he had. <laughs> so I got, I got hired with Chandler, um, which was probably one of the best things that, that had ever happened to me. Um, and then I guess I should give a little bit of background just to kind of, you know, so I can tell what happens now today. Um, you know, my wife and I have been married, we'll be been married for 30 years next June. Um, in a 30 year marriage, we've gone through a ton of ups and downs and, uh, you know, any, just about anything you think could happen in a marriage, it's, mm. it's, it's happened yeah, to us after, yeah. and we, we've survived it. And there was a time in there, um, in fact, it was right about the time I got hired with Chandler. Uh, it was it was just about that time that a lot of a lot of that shit hit, and uh, we worked our way through it, and um, everything started working out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I always wanted, I always liked to train. I like to teach and train. So I became an FTO for Chandler. <clears throat> um, I was doing that. Um, and then in the year 2008, um, that, that whole entire year was probably one of the best years of our marriage, of our family life, of my wife's work of my work everything you know that you had worked for was finally coming together yeah. after all those years you know things everything just seemed to start working out um we have at that time we had a 15 year old daughter and a 13 year old son and uh that fall he had just started uh just acting out like normal 13 year olds do and mm -hmm. um he had gotten uh there was a girl little girl in our neighborhood who was actually my daughter's age who my daughter did not stopped hanging around because of the way she was she was an only child and so she just she acted out in ways that a lot of only children do not supervised making bad decisions so my daughter actually made the decision not to hang out with her anymore well then my son started hanging out with her and uh, I had made the decision to go to third shift um, for the following year to be at home more for my son. Sure. So I could just be more of a presence while he would, you know, during the day. Um, so on December 27th uh, of 2008, he had, like I said, he'd just been acting out, acting weird not being himself, you know, talking back. Um, we had a, a rule in our house that we would leave our kids home alone. We would go out to dinner. We would go out. We They were old enough to stay home alone. The one rule was is the door stayed locked and you don't open the door for anybody. Okay. And uh, my wife was at work. My daughter, I don't remember where she was, but uh, I had to, my daughter's birthday is January 16th. And I was going to go out and get her her birthday present that day. So I told my son to stay at home. You know, I said, do you want to go with me? He said, no, which was kind of unusual because he did like doing things with me up until about that time. So I went, uh, got her her birthday present. I came home while he's standing outside talking to this girl. So he knew that he was already in trouble. So I got out and didn't yell at him, didn't do anything. I said, put your phone on the counter and go get in your room. So he did. <clears throat> um, my wife called me like she usually does on the way home, just saying I'm on my way home, this and that. And I said, well, we got to talk when you get home. So told her what he did. His name's Kieran. I told her what Kieran did. And we just decided that we kind of ignored it, actually, I guess, for a little while. Um, didn't really say much about it. And then that night, around 9.30, we called him down from his room and we said, look, you're, gonna, you're not going to see this girl anymore. We don't care. She's just bad news. And he started in on, you don't love me, you don't understand. And I'm like, this is coming from a 13-year-old kid. I mean, where, where is this coming from? And um, about... 10 minutes later, he we heard him upstairs arguing with his sister, which was not uncommon. And then it got real quiet, and it was quiet up there for a little bit, and then I heard a loud noise. 
And I'd never heard that noise before, didn't have any idea what it was. So I hollered upstairs, what was that noise? And there was silence. So I hollered up there again, louder, what was that noise? And there was still silence. So then I thought, well, maybe something fell on one of them and, you know, I didn't know. So Mm -hmm. I walked upstairs and my daughter was standing in her room uh, with just (laughs) just a weird look on her face. And I could, I saw his light on down the hall. So I started walking towards his room, but then in our bedroom, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a light on that's not normally on. And it, I kind of looked and it was, we had a big bedroom and my wife had a closet and I had a closet and it was my closet light. So I started walking towards it and we had, we had a big treadmill that was blocking. You had to walk around the treadmill to get into my closet. Just as I hit the doorway, it hit me what that noise was. And I knew what I was going to find. I just didn't know how I was going to find it. Sure. So walked around the treadmill, and he was laying there. And, of course, we kind of lose our minds. That's where, sure. our, that's where our story is. It's weird how uh, trauma hits each person, because me and my wife and my daughter will talk about that night uh, periodically, and we'll ask each other, hey, do you remember doing this? Do you remember? And I'm like... No, I don't remember doing that. But I'm like, I remember you doing this, mm-hmm. you know, like it, like it was last night. Yeah. And um, so I lived in Chandler at the time. I worked for Chandler. So, of course, when we called 911, um, everybody at that moment knew where they were going and they mm-hmm. knew what they were responding to. Were you, you weren't working that night, were you? No. Um, so I had picked him up. I told, my, I told my family to get out. My wife went downstairs and got out. My daughter stayed in her room, which I didn't know that at the time. So I took him downstairs and was waiting for a uh, fire to show up. And the first officer arrived. Um, it was Brandon uh, who, you know, anybody that was there that night's, you know, family. Sure. So yeah. I always consider Brandon family. And so he came in and told me to get out. So I got out. And then, of course, the rest of the night's just kind of kind of a blur and foggy. So I, ironically, it's just weird how things work out. Yes. Ironically, um, Chris Farrar, uh, who, I, who I worked with, who I wasn't, wasn't best friends with, wasn't, you know, I just, he showed up to work and we were, you know, work yeah. buddies and, you know, sure. we just worked together and um, we didn't go out after work or anything like that. Uh, but he had showed up and he decided to, uh, he decided to basically take the reins and organized whoever showed up that night and the next day to basically uh, clean up our house for us. He, you know, he would call me probably every two or three hours. Uh, let me keep giving me constant updates on what was going on. And so needless to say, we got back into our house. Um, 
that following September, uh, my wife's brother lived in Georgia. So he had kind of convinced us to maybe come back out there and just start over and pick up whatever pieces. And um, like I had told you before, Susan, that, you know, we, we took the playbook of uh, what to do when you lo- lose a child. And, you know, we read it and we said, nah. That's not for us. <laughs> that ain't for us. We're not going to do <laughs> That's that. That's for everybody else. <laughs> and so we, we, did, we did the exact opposite of everything that we weren't supposed to do. I quit my job. We, um, we left our house. We didn't even sell our house. We just left it. Mm-hmm. Um, went back there and tried to start over. And um, long story short, I... I I didn't like it back there. Um, started act started acting out um, with my marriage, and after about five or six years of being there, it we just decided to come back. Mm-hmm. So we we moved back, and we've been back here for about five or six years now. And uh, over the course of the last thirteen years, I've talked to maybe five, six, seven counselors off and on here and there and uh you know nothing is nothing has really helped so probably about six months ago um i just started not really realizing it just started uh acting well i don't even know how i was acting really you know my wife kept telling me i needed to talk to somebody so that that kind of told me something that you know i was i'm changing somehow i'm changing somehow in my head i didn't feel like i was but it was it's kind of weird i i, I didn't feel like i was but i kind of knew i was but mm-hmm. sure it, you know couldn't put your finger on it and describe yeah. it couldn't put my finger on it so uh one night and i i don't remember what what we had argued about or the even the cause of it but uh, she had finally just said, you need to talk to some, and this was after Chris's funeral. Mm-hmm. And this was when she was talking, uh, you know, Sherry, Dan and, and Sherry are, are, you know, Sherry is a very close uh, family friend of ours, you know, because of what had happened. She was the, she was the SRO at his school um, when he had passed away. And so she actually brought us all his stuff in his locker. And, you know, I mean, that... Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, of course, Sherry's now tied into our family. And so uh, my wife had said, you know, uh, you need to go talk to Susan. And I kept saying, who's, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Susan spoke at Chris's funeral and she, you know, and of course I'm, I'm still kind of not really there. And I said, fine. I said, whatever. I said, who is it? Well, let me, let me talk to Sherry and let me get her number. And so, um, you know, know, knowing you now, I know this. That's how you work. But mm-hmm. you know, when you've been in the the clinical settings, you know, mm-hmm. well, let me call. Okay, well, it's going to take about forty eight hours for them to call you back. Well, you need to make an appointment. Well, do you have insurance? Well, do you have that? Um, my wife's my wife texts Sherry, and I I shit you not. It ten minutes later, <laughs> I had an appointment with Susan. <laughs> And you're like, the and I'm like, like, what? For the the... Next day, I think. They must think I'm really after. No, right? <laughs> no, it was. Uh, was it the same? It day? was that day. Okay. Because it was early in the day, and it was that day. And I they said, said, "Yeah, come on this afternoon." She said, uh, "Okay, well, we can be there." She said, "If we can be there in an hour, she'll see us." And I said, <laughs> "I probably cancel somebody okay. else." And y'all are fine. Go ahead, call me in two weeks. <laughs> I said, "Okay." I said, "All right, whatever." You know, I'll I'll try this too. And uh, 
went and sat on your couch for, you know, and Sherry, <laughs> Sherry told me, she said, uh, okay, when you guys get there, you're going to be there for four hours. <laughs> and I said, all right, yeah, well, that, that's yeah, going to be, bullshit. it's going to be about an hour and a half, I'm out. an hour, whatever. And, you know, sure enough, it was four hours, I think. I think mm -hmm. we were there. I think we got there at like two o'clock. We left at like six or six thirty. Yep. And she's, um, you're not there that long because she's holding a gun to you. Oh, the door's not locked. I mean, <laughs> you got a straight shot to the door. Well, what I liked about Susan was she, uh, she just, you just talk to me, right. um, and what I liked was you you fixed you fixed the physical problem for because you were asking me how do you sleep, what's your depression, what's your anxiety, you know, and uh, I said well I I said I do have anxiety I said I don't know why I can't even tell you what I'm anxious about sometimes at night, you know I just um, it, it's just it, it just happens and it's like it's something I can't you know deal with and so but you know for four hours i mean we sat there and we talked and you said well i'm gonna i want you to get on these vitamins this is what i want you to do and then come back and see me next week and i'm like all right whatever i'll go do it so but, i did it but i have to say there was something it came in you could tell he didn't really want to be there it was kind of like yeah okay i've been here done this before and I don't even remember now. I wish I could remember what I said, but there was something I said, and it was like he came to life. And he literally, his whole body language, he sat straight. He was kind of sitting at an angle toward me, and he immediately, he straight toward me, and he just started talking. And I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember. It, I don't remember. You could see the guard came down, and it was like, huh, this might be different. And, and, and I knew then he would be back. Well, what I liked was, and the reason I went there was because my wife, Kim, she, you know, you need to deal with Kieran and your guilt about leaving the gun out. You know, that's what you need to deal with. And in my head for 13 years, and I think, I, I don't know if I just, well, that, that'll be on the 14th of November, <laughs> our, next, our next one. We'll talk about that, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess I've kind of, I've always just told myself it's your fault. You just need to learn how to live with it mm -hmm. at this point, because okay. nobody's going to tell me it's not my fault. It, it, I just have to learn. How, just teach me how to how to live with it. So that's what she wanted me to get help for. Sure. Now the funny thing was was the five weeks that we were there. I don't even think we even talked about my son. Mm -mm. We talked about our marriage and the things that I was uh, holding on to about her and what she was holding on to about me and yep. you know things that happened 15 20 30 years ago that that you know we're both holding on to that we thought had been dealt with and then hadn't been dealt with and um got all that out and i told you when i came back that last time that i i felt you know, you keep at, you know, how you guys doing? We're like, we're doing good. Yep. Not arguing. If we do argue, it's a, it's a short, hey, you know, we, we, blah, underst blah, blah. It's done. we understand each yeah. other and let's, and let's move on. And, you know, none of the thoughts that yeah. I've had when I came to you about it were, you know, are there. I've, you know, I, I feel like I've, you know, pretty much moved on to the next step to, I guess, you know, pretty much talk about my son next is, you know, or when they canceled the appointment with me to have date night, you know, you're in a really good place. So <laughs> moving right along. 
Because so, honestly, an event like that, even without the, the circumstances exactly being what they were, most marriages don't survive right. that. You know, people yep. would think it would pull you together, but because everybody's usually looking for someone else to, to blame, blame, you got to put the blame somewhere because you don't want to put it on the child. You don't want to put it where, but you usually start pointing fingers. And so I was super impressed with just the fact that they had been married as long as they had right. been. But I knew that this was stuff rumbling underneath the surface, and that had to be fixed. Well, and it, yeah, which was great because now you're making them both in a stronger place together. Now, when to deal with to what deal we need to what, what we need to deal now, with now Absolutely. to deal with the core issues. Absolutely, yeah. And seeing their empty nesters, the daughters out, and so you know, this they're either going to be miserable for life, um, or they're going to put this thing back on the track and right. and be happy together, which. You know, sorry, but it's God's plan. And and they've done a lot of hard work and it's been a lot said and and processed through. And it you know, it's not easy, it's never easy, but they've done a really good job of it. Well, I think part of the part of us coming to you was that, you know, you were just real you were real with us. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't tell us you know, you you told both me and my wife you were straight on with us and told us things that nobody's ever told and you were just honest with us and said you're acting dumb you're acting stupid quit acting like this and you need to deal with this and then you'd look at my wife you know what you need to come see me you need to do you're not as you know you're you're not as perfect as you think you are and you need to come see me you know and she she went and saw you and oh, she's yeah. and she's doing she's doing her, uh, yeah you do go ahead and say it. i'm trying to remember the exact phrasing <laughs> equal of opportunity, opportunity as that's what I'm known for. So, that's, but but what that's that pretty but good. what that did though was, I had I had a lot of issues. Not to go a lot into it, but I had a lot of issues with my wife, with a relationship that she had had prior to us getting married that had kind of followed us through our whole marriage. Sure. And uh, I had talked to two other people years before about things and what had happened and they both had turned around and basically blamed me <coughs> well this is why your your wife is doing that you're it's your fault <laughs> so then when i opened up to susan um it was nice to and it's not that i wanted her to beat my wife up or anything like that i just wanted somebody to agree with me mm -hmm. You know, I've never had that before. And I just remember that when you agreed with my feelings that I had and everything that I had thought and been sure. through, you know, you you really didn't tell me, I don't want to say you didn't tell me how to fix it, but you just, just you agreeing with me and going, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely 100% right. Validation. That was when I felt, lot. that was when I felt better and kind of, and then I, I felt like I could let that go. And so that's when I did. And, the, and everybody in the stress coach certification, I hope, understands validation is very important for people. They, they need to feel heard. They need to feel understood and done respectfully. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to do. Yeah. And so that's why I like this, because you, you know, you don't 
you know, because when you when you go to a therapist or a psychologist, you know, you you tell them what your problem is. You know, well, I'm, you know, I'm sure most first responders might say, well, it's a this child drowned and I'm having some issues with it. Well, what you teach us is that no, you're not having issues with that. What that did was it triggered something that you were having issues with long before that. All it did was and open the door. It just opened right. And so, you know, you you showed us that you have to fix you got to start from the bottom and you got to fix what's broken on the bottom and then work your way up to what the issue is. Or find the biggest thing in the psychological garbage can. Right. What's occupying the biggest space in there? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and sometimes make some room in that can. Yeah, you got to. And and again, that tends to be what triggers. And I hate that word triggers because that's <laughs> such a psychology term, <clears throat> but it does push the buttons of other things. It does. Yeah. And so tell me how you foresee using this. What what's what's your goal for this? Um. Do you see Kim going through this stress coach certification eventually and you guys being able to do it or not? She's not, no, I don't. She's okay. not, uh, that doesn't help her. Right. Um, she's kind of more of a, I'll tell you what my problems are, help me fix them, and then I'm, I'm kind of done. Sure. You know, she likes to talk kind of on her own. She doesn't want to have somebody thrown at her and say, hey, you need to call this person. This is what their issue is. You know, she doesn't want to do that. That's, okay. I, I want to do that. Good. Um, you know, it, it, you know, cause for 13 years I've been out of, I've been out of public service and I've always, you know, I, I, that was one of my regrets was leaving and trying to get back in. And, you know, this might, this is my, this might be kind of a foot, you know, a, my foot in the door just to kind of, just to keep that a part of my life. Sure. It's another way as, to, to help and yeah. be part of the community. Right. Yeah. Cause you really are. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing about it is it's not about, Kim doesn't have to do it with you for you to be effective with couples. Right. You can still be effective with couples. And yeah, the wife's probably going to think you're going to take his side. And again, you too will have to actually, you too will actually have to become an equal ass chewing opportunist. (laughs) Right. So I had the words backwards in there, but you'll have to become that too in order to be effective with both people. Because if you portrayed as being just on the side of the husband, the wife's never going to come back to you. Yeah. Well, but what you did, you know, because I was a little gun shy telling you everything. Because sure. I, you know, I mean, you don't know. I mean, you, you know, you don't know if you, you're telling a woman if you're going to take her side. But what you did was you, you not only I don't want to. You didn't take my side. You, you, um, you just agreed with me. Sure. But you also explained to her why you agreed with me. Sure. But then again, you know, when she would bring up things about me. Well, I agree with her. You would agree with her, and then you would tell me, well, this is why she feels this way, and she's allowed to feel that way, and this is what you're doing to make her feel that way. You know, so it was, you know, so you were. You didn't didn't take... It wasn't like she was taking sides. She was just giving you both validations. She was, Those feelings that you are feeling are real, and you have every right to feel that. You have every right to do that, yep. And that's what every person in this room, as a stress coach, will be able to do. This isn't unique to me. Um, This is something everybody's capable of, but they just have to know that's okay to do that. We're not in there, you know, necessarily to solve everybody's problems, but we're there 
to help with the things that they think they need help with. And that's why I say notes and records we don't keep because they really wouldn't be beneficial anyway. Because the reality is, is what somebody walks in with today may be very different than what they walk in with next week. And that's, you deal with what they bring in the door and it's their, it's their work to do. Right. We just help with the roadmap and the tools and the things to help you get there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really not rocket science because if it was, I wouldn't be doing it. I'm not that smart, people. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, when I say something smart, God gets the credit because I'm not this smart. But this is what he, I think, has given to all of you as first responders is to be able to help. And when they're on the street, cops are doing the same thing, solving problems. Firefighters are doing the same thing, solving people's problems. I'm just bringing it into an office now where you're working with each other and you all know each other's crazy. I mean, that's that's a... You know, well, that's a we fact think of that life. about you now that we've gotten I'm to know crazier you. Crazier than all of you. The, but you, you do have a knack, though, and and Chad, you can say you can agree with this, or I, I'm sure you will. Is that you go and sit on her couch and you're talking to her, and when you walk out, you think, and that was nothing like any kind of counseling bullshit I've ever been to. <laughs> I work hard and then, to make sure. You know, you're thinking all we did was sit and BS for. Talk. For damn four and a half hours or whatever it was, you know, yeah. and then, then it hit me as I was driving home with my wife from that first one. I'm like, I can't believe how much shit I talked about and got out in that time without even realizing it. Well, there's you know? no structure. Yeah, but it was amazing how much came out. But that's why, because there's yeah. no structure. There's no tell me about your childhood. And now tell me about yeah. what it was like in oh, and school. Let me make notes of this. And what was it about with siblings? <laughs> and again, there's a place for those things. But for you guys, it's just about somebody listening who doesn't have a dog in the fight, who's not going to take your job in any way, threaten it, um, who might have a little bit of life experience in my many years on this earth <clears throat> and 20 years married to it and 30 years working in it. And it, it is is just about sitting and having conversations and talking. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Well, it took me 10 years as a police officer that to realize that's that's all you need to do when you go on a call, too. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. You just walk in and you just start... Listening you and just, talk. Most of it's listening. Yeah. It, and it's listening to what they're not saying. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's, listen, it's reading in between the lines of what, right. of what... And that's what this is. Absolutely. You know, because you picked up on things that... You know, I mean, I did talk about my childhood a little bit, but it was because you picked up on certain things about, right. my, you know, me and my mom and, you know, some issues that I had. You know, so we did talk about that a little bit and work through it. But, you know... But was, that's not always the situation. But it's not the office. situation. Right. But you, like I said, it was just things that you picked up on. And, sure. and, we, and I'm nosy, so I ask. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it pays to be nosy in this industry. Right. <laughs> and not have a filter either. Because <laughs> I don't think I just ask and well, then we go with it and, or not. And no filter. Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. Uh-huh. But again, I think it's part of making people feel comfortable too. I'm vulner- right. I'm vulnerable to y'all as well. It it has to be that two way right. road. Yeah. And again, as I showed y'all in this training, you know, sometimes just sharing your life with someone can help them. Well, it just makes you know this. You know, my I'd go home at night, and you know, Kim keeps asking, "So what? How'd it go? What'd you What'd you do? What'd you learn?" And I go, I go honestly, I go, a lot of it was the same thing you told us in your office. Yep. I said, but a lot of it was just listening to 
to people's stories and uh sure you know learning you know i i learned in in three days i i learned so much about the human psyche and <laughs> by by listening to dan oh yeah no question from yeah. monday to yesterday it 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 showed me so much about how what he went through about how mentally he could have gotten through that in the first six months. Sure. Right. That was a totally mentally survivable event, as horrible as it was. Yeah, yeah with a little bit of with decent just, help. With just a little bit of decent help. Yeah. But he's yeah. held on to that for 21 years yeah. because exactly. he didn't have it. Exactly. So that was kind of eye-opening for me. Um, and I could see each of you listening to the other one as you would tell your story, and you could almost see y'all processing, what would I do with that if it walks in? Yeah. And how you can relate to that. Well, just because, you know, and I, I know that you and I have talked because I've asked you, I'm like, what is this going to look like? What, you know, who are sure. you giving me? You know, and you kind of told me, you know, well, I'm going to try to pair people up who've had similar experiences. But a lot of times that's not going to mean shit just because just because somebody right. is going to come to you with a similar experience. Well, you might find out that, well, that ain't the problem. Sure. Their, their problem is something completely different, right. which I like having everybody in here because now I've got a bunch of resources that, that, you know, I can, you know what, I know somebody that you can probably talk to about that. Let me, let me give you their, they're the same as me. Let me give you their number and, and I will, you know. Right. And that's what it's about. And now you know a lot about each other to be able to say, you know, it might be a better fit. Let me hook you up to somebody else. Right. And connect that person to them. And again, you've got to also look don't just look at your event, but see, you would be qualified to talk to someone who's thinking about leaving law enforcement after a number of years, for whatever reason, they're thinking about it. And it may be because they're angry or frustrated or have anxiety or depression or whatever's going on. But because of the way you left law enforcement, I think you would advise them to really think this yeah. through and why. Right. Because if somebody had told you this might not be a good idea because if you decide to get back into it later, you may not be able to well, do it. Well, if I, I told I told a few people in here that I, I wish that you were here in two thousand eight. Me too. Because had I had hooked up with you after that had happened, I would I'd have I'd have two years left, hmm. and I, I wish that I had you know somebody would have. But some know. of your experiences, what's of of leaving and coming back right. is going to be part of your story of helping others. Yeah. It will be. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how, what it's going to look like, but I can tell you it will without a doubt. Mm -hmm. So get ready. You're certified as of tomorrow. Great. And as Dan and Sherry asked, <laughs> it's not certifiable, although that probably is a case too. Uh, most of you in here are certifiable, right. but anyway, um, but no, it's a, it's going to be after tomorrow. And again, I'm not going to throw you to the sharks, but, um, you'll be you'll be ready. I have no doubt. And a lot of this is trial by fire. I had, I, you know, again, I had no one when I started this thing. This is thirty years of my life evolving every day. I learn something new from y'all every day, yeah. with every client that comes in. So as tough as your story is, I'm really proud of you for doing this and stepping yes. up to want to help. Yeah, thanks. and thanks for sharing your story with all of our listeners Absolutely. too, because that's that's what you've gone through is. A nightmare that no one wants to go through. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yeah. again, if somebody is listening that has been through something 
the same, similar, whatever, reach out to us. Uh, you know, call the 855-889-2348 or my cell at 334-324-3570. We'll get you connected to Chad. Um, just make that call. Yeah, we can't get you help if you don't reach out to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. I wish I could check on everybody, but that's a total impossibility. Yeah. I thought I could at one time in my life. I could fix everybody in law enforcement all over this country, all the first responders, all the military. Well, you might be able to. You just won't live that long. I, well, I, I burned that a long time ago. Yeah, I'm just happy just dealing with one at a time at the moment. But, but Chad, thank you for, for being a part of this podcast. And, you bet. And, uh, again, you're you're hooked for life now. I forgot to tell you, y'all signed on the, on the dotted she line. She saw us all coming and through yes, the line, and she yep. just reeled us all in. Yep. All right. So, Jay, we're going to take just a break and get somebody else in the chair, and this podcast will continue to roll. That's what we're talking about. So we're coming in mid-podcast, and now we're picking up. This is still Jay episode uh, 51 that we're adding to the last one which was chad correct correct okay all right so now tom we have new guests that came out of our audience who just couldn't wait to be on the podcast <laughs> they were beating down the doors <laughs> they were they were they were just itching to be on here <laughs> and these will be our first firefighters on here we haven't had anybody else have we no i don't think I'm trying to think yeah, back. I don't no, think this, so. I think this... these are our first firefighters. Don't y'all feel lucky? We're trying to evolve. <laughs> We're broadening your horizons <laughs> of that. <laughs> so welcome to uh, our podcast, Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. We're excited to have y'all on here because you're um, somewhat new to the family as a group. We've certainly had. You're the unicorns. And, yes, you are the guinea yes, pigs. We're magical. We, call you. <laughs> we <laughs> the are <test> magical animals. <laughs> so two of you are already knew before the stress coach certification, and we're just honored to have you guys in here as part of the program now, part of the family. Um, and then Bridget, you were the one, the true unicorn yeah, in the group the unicorn, who had yes. never met me. Um, not sure what she heard that drove her interest. To come in the Man, door. <laughs> you're either gullible or just very trusting. <laughs> Both. I think I fall. I, yes. You know what they said about curiosity and the cat, don't Killed you? It. And I heard gullible's not in the dictionary, so. <laughs> so we're good with that. So tell us now that you are the last day of this certification. You'll be leaving here with your little certificate saying you're board certified as a stress coach. Um, tell me, really, I'd really like to know from your perspective, Bridget, what what drove you to even want to come in here and sit with me for 40 hours? Well, I'd heard about you for a long time, obviously, uh, through guys at work. Um, I'm also part of our, we call it member services committee, trying to help our people. Mm -hmm. um, and after 21 years in this job, I think some of the most meaningful, helpful things I've felt that I've accomplished has been actually helping our own people. Good. So I want to find more ways to do that and uh, to be able to tell people this is available. Plus, it's helping me, too, because here I'm at 21 years and trying to deal with my own crap. Sure. So. You can say shit on here. Okay, shit. Well, the FCC doesn't regulate yeah. yet. Yes. <laughs> There's so. always a first. So that's why it was presented to me. It was just like a week and a half ago. I said, hey, we have this opportunity. It presented to our whole committee, and I was the only one that could jumped on it and said, yeah. And there were days I'm like, I don't know if I should go. 
should I do this? It took a lot, took a lot to get me back this morning, but what was your, what was your hesitation even initially? Um, well, it's always painful to take a look at yourself sometimes. Sure. So, or in everybody else. And it's painful to hear everyone's stories. It's hard. It brings you back to whatever, Absolutely. Um, but it also, then it makes you, it energizes you too. So. Well, it really shows the psychological garbage can that we talk about that oh. everybody has one in first responders. Everybody's got one. They all have different levels, different things, different stuff. But it's still all stuff that can smell pretty bad and look pretty bad and feel pretty bad. Yeah. And But even more so, what, what piqued your interest to want to come in? What was it that made you think this was different than peer support or some other programs you have? I think just the feedback that I've heard okay. from the guys. Mm -hmm. And then also you hear the the controversy, maybe this and that. And I'm like, I'm hearing really good stuff from, a, you know, a couple of our guys that have gone through divorces and other, other garbage can filling stuff that tipped sure. them over the edge. And I'm like, what a great opportunity. And I, I feel like my garbage can's kind of full. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is a great time. And did you even realize you had a garbage can? <laughs> I knew I had something. It was full. <laughs> <laughs> and it was overflowing, yes. Yeah, it tends to be that way with females in predominantly male worlds, too. Yeah, it's a whole nother chapter. It is. Yeah. Because I think there's a hesitation, even whether it's fire or police, I think there's a hesitation for the males to know because I think there's already some concept that maybe women can't handle these first responder jobs. Right. That's true. And so then it makes you even less likely to want to talk to somebody because now we're going to prove they're right that I'm too weak to do this. This has nothing to do with weakness. No. no. It's definitely no. been 21 years constantly having to prove yourself over and over. Absolutely. And guys don't get it. Right. So. Yeah, but, I can't. I really can't relate to that. Uh, I mean, I like with the female officers that I worked with over my career, I always I thought about that for them as far as what they're going through and how they must feel working with, you know, 100 guys all the time. And how tough that must be for them, you know, to have to feel like they need to prove themselves when really you shouldn't have to. Just go do your job, be yourself. And Is the perception the same for females in fire as it is in law enforcement? Law enforcement, as long as I've done this, it's always been that she slept her way to the top or she sued her way to the top. Is it the same thing said about women in fire or is it something different? It can be. I mean, that has never been said to me. Um, but I've gotten, oh, you got a different test or you didn't have to do the same physical test or and that was beginning on. Now my department as a whole is not mm -hmm. that way to me now, after, okay. but you experience that you go to a different city, you go to a different class, you know, people look at you, can you do it kind right. of thing. But the standards are the same Absolutely. in testing? Absolutely. At least they were when I did it. Be interesting though if that's the way it is today. <laughs> Because I'm not sure in some places. Of course, in some academies now, they're not even making the men run. It, you know, they're not making them. They're doing more of the classroom setting, which I don't agree with. Do you see fire going that way at all? I think we're more, there's a different push of we want more diversity. We mm -hmm. want more, we want everyone to be successful. And it takes all types to do this job. Sure. Um, I think my perspective is I get told that I, I'm too hard on other women, mm -hmm. or I just want to treat them the same. And that's coming from a male who's never been a woman or been a woman on the fire department. It's amazing how men know so it's much weird. about women who've never been. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Grant, I'll never be as strong as, as Chris or Tim here ever. 
but I'm not going to quit. And that's always been my thing. I'm like, I'm not going to stop. Well, there are other factors yeah. that, besides physical strength. Yeah. So in your team, also. it takes, you know, your paramedic. That means you're two paramedics. Generally, that's how we were taught. You're not usually alone. Mm-hmm. You're an engine company or a ladder company. You work together, and that's the best part about it. Sure. You know, you work everybody's strengths and stuff. I've always laughed about the training at law enforcement and they're, you know, they use ammunition and all that stuff. And you'll hear people go, yeah, just like fire. They use that red wavy paper to mimic fire. <laughs> no, we throw you into real stuff. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that makes them a whole lot crazier because they're playing with the real things. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no desire to run into a burning building, though. I, I just don't have... Not when roaches run out, even, and these people are going in I know, it, and I'm like, yeah. ooh, okay, well, thank to you. To me, my brain just says, no, that's, that, that's that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I learned a long time ago, don't touch the stove. Yes, we did. We learned that at a young age. What about... <laughs> you people touch stoves a lot. We have plenty of cops blocking the house they were trying to get to, so I, I don't know... They're just coming in for dinner. You guys must be the exception because every time we go to a fire, there's there's plenty of cops blocking the road. Oh, I do have a question for you, though, yeah, here on we that go. subject. I know what he's going to ask. Do you intentionally put the hose underneath the car if they're parked in front of the fire hydrant just to keep that car there? <laughs> Under That's the what car? we've been told. No. That's what we've go, been told. Through the car. <laughs> go through it. Go through it. Roll the windows Jaws down. Jaws of life. <laughs> no, just roll the windows down and run it through. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I know early on, you know, when I started, they were like, if you go to a house fire or any fire, do not park in front of that fire hydrant because you're going to be there for ever until the fire guys decide. You can go now because mm-hmm. we've moved our hose out of the way. I, and we'll leave it attached excessively long, too, yeah. just, just for a point. Sure. And you got to investigate, figure out what caused the fire. This could be hours. Hours. Yeah. We need a water supply to figure that out. So we, we prefer Cobbs Park at the end of the street. Yeah. Far away. Well, far, block, far away. Block the street for you guys, right? Yeah, but don't get out and take your keys with you so we can't get in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've heard that all. That's why I rode a motorcycle. No, you have I can get no, you anywhere. And... They have some secrets they can't tell everybody. Jeez, but I want to be on those ride-alongs when y'all do those things. Yeah, I might be spending a lot of time at your fire station. Trade, trade secrets. Yeah. That'd be nice to be on the inside of that. No. Go tell cops, yeah, I know stuff you ain't got a clue about. You better look out. If people knew what was said on a fire truck, we'd all be fired. Yeah, probably so. I, like I said, I've done, I've done a couple of ride-alongs, and, and it was pretty interesting. And I'm sure it was very limited with me being in there and them really not knowing me. And, but it was interesting enough. And I thought, yeah, wait till they get to know me. This is really going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real glutton for this stuff. So... I know a lot of the stuff we've talked about, obviously, in this week has been about stress coaching and law enforcement, because that is, that's really my life, the 30 years of it, married to it and everything. And it is different for fire, but yet there's a lot of similarities. How do y'all see this being beneficial to fire? For me, it's it's another tool mm-hmm. that we have uh, to say one one program or this program or that program is the catch-all, be-all is... No such thing. No. And just from my experience, mm-hmm. realizing there's a gap with what was provided and what I needed. Between peer and license. In that and just just like with the EAP and like how you're getting 
you know, oh, four weeks. I can't see someone for four weeks. Can't can't see you for four months. And sure. um, I never got to the point where I was suicidal, but I made a joke to one of them. I'm like, good thing I'm not suicidal because this is this would be a sign. Sure. Because yeah. it was so difficult to navigate that that system. Sure. Um, and so to me, it's another tool. And it's a tool that worked very well for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've sent a handful of people your way. Yes, you have. And, um, you know, it's just they've I've gotten great feedback from them. I've been able to just discuss in the station with some other people that know my story. I've been pretty open and vocal about my story with around the department um, to where other people have come to me confidentially and just we've chatted out and kind of give them some tools that I've, you know, just from chatting with you. Sure. I was able to pick up on the tools you were using, then we reiterated it this past week. And that's the beauty of it. I don't have to do it all. (laughs) Y'all can teach them to even do it on their own time. But I have to tell you the funniest thing. I can always tell when it's fire that walks in the office because they'll come in with a pad and a pen. They come in ready to take notes. It, it, I've never had a cop do that, ever. It's because they're smarter had. than cops. <laughs> <laughs> smarter or need notes more. <laughs> but it's, re- it's really interesting. They come in ready to get something. They want to write stuff, and which I don't care if they write it down. I'm not, but... Um, but it shows a real eagerness and a willingness and a and a, and a, and the point that this is education, right? Not therapy. I bet if they thought it was therapy, they wouldn't walk in with a pen and paper. Yeah, probably not. I think you're right with that. And so when they hear it's education, they come in prepared to take notes. Hey, that way I don't have to have them call me twelve times like the cop. Goes, what, what was it? Show me how much of that Send me those. How notes? much of that vitamin <laughs> <Exactly>. stuff? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, y'all have kind of been refreshing. Uh, but you know, Tim, you're really the one that kind of planted the seed initially at your fire department, and it started again. Here's Chris Ferrar. He's up there patting himself on the back. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, um, because he really is the one that had the conversation that drove your interest to even see what we were about. Right. He was, um, I had known Chris for 25 years, I think. And, um, he was the one that, that, uh, gave me your name. Um, so I think coming to you helped me clear out my garbage can, mm-hmm. um, considerably. And it, it just made a huge night and day difference. Um, and I remember walking away thinking, why are we not doing this? This is, this is ridiculous. And then, you know, the, the resources that we had available to us were, you know, a website or, you know, it's like when you're having a crisis or when you're in a dark spot, sure. I'm not going to sit on a computer clicking through a website. Right. You know, it's, you need someone to talk to. Right. Um, you need someone face to face. Sure. Um, you need someone that can understand and, and relate to you. Um, and sitting in front of a computer screen isn't going to get that done. Well, especially if you're reading something that's giving you all the symptoms, say, of suicidal, and suddenly you're yeah. going, whoa, oh. I didn't even realize I was yeah. suicidal. And I think it just reinforces um, what you're going through in a negative way. And then I think it, you know, if it can mislead you. Sure. Like you said, like, wait a minute. I'm suicidal. Right. I didn't. I didn't think I was, but now I am. Say I yeah. am. Maybe I should start thinking about it. Well, it's like leaving a diagnostic statistical manual sitting out. When I was in graduate school, or at some point, I had one sitting out at a place where I was working, and the 
break room and I came back in and everybody had diagnosed themselves with all these things (laughs) because if you're not in the DSM, you're not breathing. I mean, there's a math disorder, reading disorder. I wish they'd had those when I was in college, but uh, man, I'd have banked off that stuff all the time. I'm sorry, I have this math disorder and you're just going to have to pass me and let me move on. Well, Um, it's like someone that's feeling, not feeling well. And so they go on to Google and they look up what are these, you know, here's my symptoms. Holy crap, man, I'm going to die. You know, well, right. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes you need somebody who goes, no, that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're suicidal. Good grief. You know, it means right. you are sleep deprived and we need to work on that. Right. But you ran into a lot of the resistance that I've run into for 30 years with the program. And it's hard to understand that resistance. Right. I think it's, I think it's a control issue. Um, but to me, the, the two most important things were, were um, confidentiality mm-hmm. and trust. Um, and going through those channels through the city, I had neither one of those. Right. Um, I knew if I said anything, it would take about seven seconds before the entire fire department would know about it. Um, so I wanted to avoid that at all costs. Do y'all have the same fear of being put off the job as PD does? Because they're, they have such a fit for duty, the mentality of, oh, God, we got to get him out and find the help, but he can't come in the building and we got to take his gun and badge. Do they do anything even similar in fire if they hear you might be suicidal? What happens? I mean, y'all don't take your axes home anyway. So, it, I mean. Go to the website. <laughs> yeah, go to the website. <laughs> There's been instances where where we've had people that struggle with issues and they pull them off the line, mm-hmm. um, put them in a day spot, you know, on day shift. And for us, going to day shifts. Is that like, the ugh, punishment from It's hell? terrible. I mean, we're used to working our 24, 48-hour shifts, getting our four days off. Does yeah. it affect your pay when they do it that no, way? No, 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 no. But, um, you know, now you got to go in the office four or five days a week, which that's just not our culture. That's not our yeah. mentality. Sure. And then is there a stigmatism that goes with that then? Now everybody's looking at, okay, this guy, this Why guy, is he now, she, yeah. now he or she's on it's day shift. What's going on with That's them? the biggest thing is that they're going to get labeled if right. anyone finds out any weakness because we're like sharks and we eat our own. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, sharks don't even move that as vicious <laughs> as we are to each other. Yes. And it really, it'll take less than seven seconds and somebody's talking about it. I mean, you enter sure. the wrong code in telestaff and everybody knows sure. something's up. So that's I think that's the biggest Always been. Yeah. And when you're on that day ship, what determines you can come back? Do you say, okay, I'm ready to go back to my, I mean, how do they get you there? Do you have to go through an equivalent of what cops would call a fit for duty, see a psychologist and get cleared or who decides? I think it's still basically uncharted, unplanned. We'll react to it for our department. <laughs> so we're going to figure it out <laughs> as we go. But you've had some yeah, people, they, hadn't you, that have been on day shift. I, I think they've, they've gone, they've had to go through psychologists and go through the health center that we go to for physicals and um go to like an ime ime used to get back and okay and and it it hasn't gone gone well there's a process as well and because we've had people pulled off the line for various reasons you know sure um and each one's unique and they i think they have a they don't have like a standard approach to each one Mm -hmm. each one's they have a unique approach to each one i should say Depends to, if they to, like to, you depend, or not. Depend, you know, because it's and it's that's not a joke. It's uh, and that's real comforting when you ain't got a clue what it's going to look like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if they like you, if you're part of the club, sure, they'll go the extra mile for you. Sure. If they don't, and you're not part of the club, 
um, you are completely on your own. And it's, I think sometimes it's perceived as an opportunity to, to persecute you. Sure. Mm. So. And I've been, it's really been interesting because at certain levels in law enforcement, there's, they're not treated the same as people below that. But at FIRE, I have found that people pretty high up <laughs> are, are getting caught up in the same stuff. It doesn't really matter. There doesn't seem to be that boundary of once you hit this level, you can kind of do what you want to do and stuff. But I don't find that at FIRE. Captains have been in that have had issues, and they're just as afraid as someone who's not of rank. And I'm like, captains are whatever the equivalent is at a police department would be whatever. I'm in charge here. I get my buddies over here. We make the decisions. Yeah. And But it's not like that in fire, I found, at least not here. I don't know about other places. Well, I think the line is in fire. I think the line is drawn between... Um, like the the line guys and then the the staff guys. So basically, there's administration and there's labor. And once you're in administration, and the perception is you're kind of looking down on labor, at sure. least. And those people from. are never actually working the job uh, when you're administration. No, you are nine to five, pretty much. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, I, like I said I've got a lot to learn here. I know, and it's again this the first fire department or association or part of it or whatever it is that is contracted with us that I know I have a lot to learn because again I'm still going by the old school of I was shocked to hear that they all have their own room I still got them all <laughs> sleeping in bunk beds listening to each other snore and complaining and I'm thinking there's your big issue no wonder yeah. you don't sleep that's right listen to all these people snoring all night long <laughs> and, and then to find out that you don't go back to the fire station and sit around the table and kind of defuse of a really bad call because everybody takes their phone and tablet and heads to their rooms. Closes the door. And yeah. it does change my perception of what the issues could be versus PD. A lot of times they just ride off by themselves and I'm thinking y'all all get together and cook and bake and... <laughs> Now, the only nice thing is I think that... Cops go eat donuts, but... <laughs> you guys come from a from a call, at least you're riding back together. So there is an opportunity a maybe, yes. but right. once you're back at the station then all bets are off. And we, most crews typically do that. You know, I mean, you're going to diffuse in the truck and mm -hmm. we're going to discuss things in the truck, make sure everyone's good with the way the call went, sure. all the decisions that were made and treatments or, or actions or whatever. Um, and then depending on the severity, a lot of crews, they still do go to the kitchen, t kitchen table, but it is difficult with cell phones with mm -hmm. the stations becoming so much larger. Sure. Um, and the bunk room is becoming larger and having your own room, your own door, um, where guys can just, they can just disappear. Sure. And Not it, much that, you can do about it. it makes it very challenging. Sure. Very, very challenging, especially from a supervisor standpoint. Um, and how long has it been that way again? When did, what year did y'all tell me that changed out here? It's just been a, I think a progression just as stations. But I mean, what was evolved. the first, what year was the first station having individual rooms? How long has that been? I think 98. That long ago? Yeah. I, you know. Was the first station. Okay. Um, but then there's. Others that. Other, the older stations still had like open bunk rooms. and. Yeah. And they didn't have doors at first. They just had curtains. <laughs> oh, that's effective. So everyone could Before still hear that, each other snoring and talking and stuff. Yeah. They <laughs> See, I'm the curtains. one that would come in and put beads or something. <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> really get people talking. <laughs> uh, and do you think that is really, it has more pros to going to that than cons? To have those separate rooms? Because some of you did both, or all of you did both. And I, I think as I get older, mm -hmm. I prefer the separate room and the sure. privacy. And, sure. Um, because it gives you an opportunity to, to take a break from everything that's going on. If you want to go read a book or go do whatever, sure. you know. Um, but the, the con is, is you're not all together. You don't have the opportunities, as many opportunities to talk with each other as you used to. Um, you know, and, and in those missed opportunities to talk or missed opportunities to um, debrief or talk about recent events or, you know, take the sting out of some of those calls. Um, and then I think what happens is, you know, you don't, nowadays, you don't have that same opportunity. So you take that stuff home with you, you know, sure. and then, you know, it, it leaks out into your marriage, um, into your parenting, into whatever you got going on at home. Sure. Um, and then it, it affects those immediately around you outside of the work environment, you know. Do you think as supervisors that it also reduces your ability to kind of know what's going on with your people? Because if they're having trouble at home and you're all in a bunker, my, my guess is there's a whole lot of talk about crazy wives and, and kids and whatever's happening. And do you think that lessens your ability to know about what's happening with them personally? Absolutely. And, and I tell... A lot of our newer captains get promoted mm -hmm. and guys in the testing process. And this, as a supervisor, you have to be nosy. Yes. You've got to be in all your people's business. Yeah. You know, it's where it's uncomfortable even. So you sure. can recognize just a slight little nuance or change in their behavior. Yes. A little change in their routine that they have. Um, so that way we can intervene if need or get them the help. Yeah. Or get the resources. This is what we talk about in our training for supervisors. We talk about supervisors being able to identify early episodic stress before it hits chronic, where you have to discipline or terminate. And it's just interesting to me that departments don't recognize right now we can't afford for people to be disciplined or fired because everybody's struggling, even, even fire, um, not at the level maybe as law enforcement. But again, your most valuable commodity, I don't know why departments can't see this or cities or counties or whoever that your most valuable commodity are your employees they can make you look really good really or bad. they can make you look really bad i'll never understand that like you know you and me both. trucks and equipment get more attention than yes. the personnel yes you know and it's going to be the people that um are running the calls yes. that make or break the department absolutely so yeah, wreck a fire truck because your brain's not in it completely and too much other stuff's going on. What does that cost a city? Or hit somebody. Or hit or, somebody. Um, or hit each other. Have make a mistake <laughs> and draw out the wrong medication or give the wrong yes. dosage. Or it's There's endless opportunity for, for big mistakes with long-reaching consequences. Absolutely. So. And why do you think they don't get that? I think I, there's this weird phenomenon, at least in fire anyways, I, I can't speak for law enforcement, but once you get to the administrative level, mm -hmm. my experience has been they immediately forget where they came from. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know why that is. I don't know what's going on to um, encourage that type of thinking. Um, but we all came from the same place. Um, we've all run the same calls. We all have um, the traumatic calls, you know. And then suddenly, when your shirt turns white, it's now it's us against them. My turn to dish it like, out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Where did you learn that from? You know, has it always been that way though? Is is because that's the famous saying in law enforcement. Why do you do it? Because we've always done it that way. That doesn't always work. But has it always been that way? We have a little joke like two things firefighters hate: Uh-oh. change in the way things are. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and, and here's how I justify that: because you're all ADD and ADHD, you love change as long as you're in control of it. Yeah. But the minute you're not, you lose your mind. As long as it's my idea, it's a great Absolutely. idea. Absolutely. It's an awesome idea. And if it's your you idea, idea right? today <laughs> and six months from now, somebody goes, you know, Chris had a really good idea back then, but now it's their idea. Now you don't like that. No, Not at all. <laughs> I think a lot of times the personality is looked at. The idea is great. Mm-hmm. But the personality that it came from. Exactly. Where did no, it come from? we're not doing that. Sure. And we're not doing it just because of who it came from. And that is asinine. And I think that has been a lot of the resistance at Under the Shield. People at the top don't like a female they can't control. And I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> That's another part of it. Nor can anyone control you. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask my ex-husband. He'll be happy to say how well that worked for him. He says, tell Susan go left. She's going right, even if it's a bit of snakes and alligators. Absolutely. It's my way or no way. Um, and I've actually had people tell me that first responders didn't want the training because I have a southern accent and sound stupid. Excuse me? Well, okay. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> It's like, man, how do you how do you respond to that? But it's, I've never been a cop and I've never been a firefighter, I've never been a paramedic either. But I've spent a lot of time and it is kind of scary to y'all how much I do know, especially about this world. Right. Um, that I can speak from a wife and the other side also. Because I know the few things I messed up. Not many. He did most of it. But I think there's some of that, too, still, because this is a male world. And I'm a female coming in wanting to help, and it's perceived, what the hell could she know? Right. I know. I, that's my look all the time, too. I think just from my experience with, with just my department and just kind of what happened with me was um, I think here's what we always had in place, mm-hmm. and that was good enough. Sure. And I got into a discussion with the battalion chief about how terrible those resources are mm-hmm. and he told me he goes well they actually work for this one guy right so that's good I'm sure like, well, that's great for that one guy but here's the six other guys it didn't work for right you know who are you know medically retired now yep or uh, you know they're not on the trucks right now right and so i'm like the system that we have in place failed them yes and so why should we limit ourselves to that and one check and one box yes and so let's get as many tools and we, we pride ourselves like, like tim said on taking care of our equipment and yes. our, our trucks and all the tools and we we have this endless toolbox that we take with us mm-hmm. on every single call we can pull all these tools and we're always looking at more innovative more efficient uh, tools sure to put in our giant toolbox we need to do the same thing for our people which is what i love about under the shield and just it's another tool for us to use and to utilize to, you know, help 
you know, maybe this is the one that clicks with, so you're with that individual. Me a fire truck, a hose, and an axe, y'all need more than that? <laughs> Just a little bit more. <laughs> a, few hundred, a few hundred grand more worth of tools. I, I see all the crap that they have to unload from the truck and carry in, and I'm like, that's the time I'm glad I'm a cop. <laughs> But nobody's shooting at us. Yeah, well, they're anyways. putting on, yeah. throwing on a turnout, and yeah. it's 100-plus degrees outside, yeah. and you're no. running around in that shit. And, that, and that's the thing about the tools. Like I, I got on this actually about a month ago, a discussion with another battalion chief about this. Um, and he was saying, because we're going over how the, our program has changed now with our EAP and with the different resources we have. He's like, well, our job's been the same. I'm like, no, it hasn't. No. No. I, I'm like, just, you know, I've been doing this 17 years, and the things we've had to train and prepare for, while we've never had an active shooter here, right, and haven't had to, that's the one thing we prepare for big time now. Sure. Is and the reps and the the mental preparation, you get, it, yeah. it, it still beats you down. I mean, they're preparing for it, it beats you down. Or, sure. And because like when I got hired, the big thing was WMDs. Yes. You know, and like, yep. you know, here, here's our our WMD kids. How many get, of those you had? <laughs> <laughs> right? There you go. It's like, here, here, here's, here's, Still waiting on it. here's all your, all your atropine and your two pam. You know, you're like, okay, you want me to stick this in me? Like, really? Like, come here, Jim, let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> you're just it, dying to say something. It's, it's, so now it's, it's just, it, it's constantly evolved to different, you know, we have prepared for everything. Sure. And it's, and it's always evolving with society and the, the, the tools, the trade, the equipment, everything's changing. Sure. And, and it's just, it all adds up and compounds onto it. Sure. And then on the flip side of that, how I'm seeing a lot of it with after 21 years of and the disconnect between people that aren't doing anymore but tell you how to do your job. Yeah. The calls are different. Absolutely. They're and it's not the big calls that seem to get a lot of people. And you we've talked about this. I've talked with a lot of older guys. It's not the traumatic ones, the stressful ones. You know, these build up. Yep. But that's your chance to work together, do what you're trained to do. It's that repeat customer at three in the morning because they're having another panic attack yes. or they cut their toe or they people non-adulting that you have to adult for them. Yes. They and can't. that's the majority of the cars. And that yeah. is the majority sure. of our cars. And that is emotionally draining. Sure. And, and that I, way, you know, it's like, and I see that taking its toll too. That's That's gotten to me. It's like, ugh. Well, I think it's particularly tough because with this job or with law enforcement, it attracts a a very specific type of personality. Absolutely. Right. Usually type A. Yes. Um, very motivated individuals. Care about people. Right. And then, so you're getting hired, you know, to fight fires, to do all these physical things. And then all of a sudden you're a counselor. Yes. You know, like, wait a minute. How did, how did this happen? <laughs> or a babysitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That's um, not the role I signed up for. <laughs> right. So it's like you're trying to shift into a gear that you don't have, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it just, it's, it's tough. And I think um, that causes a lot of burnout. That causes immeasurable frustration. Sure. You know, it's like, I am, I can't do this anymore. Like this isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't how I started my career. And now I'm expected, you know, to like help with all these social programs. And um, I don't know. It's it's. I have it's to ask, do y'all watch Chicago Fire? 
I mean, I'm just asking if you ever watched or seen it recently. I've, I've seen like one episode. Actually, well, actually, there was a really good program uh, episode a couple of weeks ago that they were they put in place an ambulance to handle the repeat offenders so that the the shifts didn't get. Is that something that would even be? practical or could be done we've tried it oh you have basically i, w I actually saw that episode i'm, yeah, I'm sad to admit i know it's wednesday night i don't have cable it's right. on yes. um i don't like mass singer that kind of stuff um <laughs> yeah well we've had our low acuities we call them sometimes they were just you know we tried it 24 hours that didn't go really well for our department other departments are doing that uh -huh. i think that, that was the, supposed to be your repeat offenders your that does they don't need a whole whole four people to take care of them right. and i don't it doesn't i mean it helps during the day when we have them up and it kind of burn lessens some of the calls for a couple of the busier districts right i don't it doesn't get rid of the problem okay it's still there i mean you still it's still our guys working on that truck getting right. burnt out doing the same just you know actually lifting people up off the floor i enjoy doing because you're actually helping them mm -hmm. but that happen you know people fall there's gravity issues i don't I think there's good and bad in that program, but, but we've been doing that for years in, in the Valley, even okay. with different departments and how they d roll it out is a little different, but I think we've all been doing it. So you're telling doing me it. watching Chicago Fire is not going to be educating me about your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, I did see that and I was like, wow, but they're actually talking about something that's real okay. instead of all the other, you know, swinging from ladders on ropes and that kind of thing, rescuing children. Yeah, rappelling head first down. Yeah, and, yeah. ocean exactly rescues, early lake rescues. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. I thought, dang, <laughs> they got this going on. This is a job. I, yeah, I want to do ride alongs with them. It's entertainment. Dang, you had to kill it for me. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard his, his trainings and stuff, but he really praises fire. And he talks about how law enforcement is so far behind the eight ball. We're a fire. We've been doing fire drills for how many years? When's the last time a kid was killed in a school, uh, in a school fire? There haven't been any in like 20, 30 years, whatever. And he talks about in the room wherever he's teaching. And he says, you know, and you've got sprinklers in here and you've got fire alarms and you have exits. And he says, and there ain't nothing in, there ain't one thing in this room that'll burn. He said, not a thing. And he said, but we don't stop the fire drills because we've done that. We don't stop teaching kids the stop, drop, roll, whatever we're teaching. He said, you know, we've got it, again, preventative. My, what I hammer the most, prevention. And yet we don't do that in the law enforcement world as much or nearly enough. And so he really praises. And he talks a lot about combining the two because he says, what better protection for police officers or SWAT with an active killer that is shooting um, than a fully loaded fire truck with water in it. <laughs> and he says, and then use that, what do y'all call the hose and how it, how fast it shoots out there. The, he gives it a name. Do you remember what he calls it? But it's no, I... some fancy tactical name for the fire hose. And he says, "We just call it fire." He's well. He calls it something. He gives y'all a fancy name for it. But he says, um, "You know, it, it'll knock somebody down with a gun, but not hurt. I mean, it'll hurt well, them, but it's not gonna kill is them." Is the, the fire, the hose cannon? Oh, no, it's, it's uh, our deck guns. No, yeah, we call them it, deck guns or stain guns. Some but, of these fools yeah. in the other room yeah. can tell us. But he says, "You know, and if you've got somebody with a bomb, he goes, sure, it might set it off, but if it starts a fire, the hose is gonna put it out." <laughs> Right. He has all kind of cool ideas about integrating the two that I have not seen used anywhere. 
and yet I am starting to hear about departments, fire departments now putting vest. Yeah, we have on firefighters. We have firefighters that go in with our SWAT team and stuff, and that's great. Sure. I mean, I think we've been lucky enough to work in a city where police and fire gel really well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's in everybody's best interest for that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's in fire's best interest. Absolutely. It's in PD's best interest. But most importantly, it's it's in the community's yes. best interest um, for us to work well together. And um, y'all are like family. You can you can ridicule and jaw each other, and talk bad and make fun and kid around. But boy, let somebody from the outside come right. and do that to fire and PDs coming and vice versa. Right. And you know it's we had the drive by shootings at fire departments. I know in Phoenix a few years ago, there was that issue. We've had. A lot of suicides at Phoenix Fire right. in the past. A lot of the same issues um, coming from garbage in the garbage can. The garbage just looks different. Right. And I, I think the triggers, no pun intended, <laughs> are different for, for fire Absolutely. and police. But the reactions to it are the same. It's sure. the same. Um, you have to find a way to cope. Yep. And... Um, Unfortunately, um, a lot of that coping becomes alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sex addiction, gambling, um, financial problems, um, divorces. Um, So from that perspective, I think we're exactly the same. Well, you're you're humans with the same emotions and reactions Mm -hmm. and, and things to draw from. But again, like we were talking about yesterday, smells ring bells. So I think smell could possibly impact fire faster overall. Mm. PD is going to be affected by smells primarily from uh, gunfights and those types of things where y'all have it from the medical side, the fire side, all of it, that it can be a great impact. And I think it's even just acknowledging that sometimes. Sure. Yeah, de- I mean, smells definitely smells and certain sounds, sure. you get certain sounds because you know we're with, obviously we're with the patient. If it's transport, we're with them for quite a while. Sure, you know, up to thirty minutes, depending on where we're going, what part of the city we're in. Um, you know, there's certain sounds then just kind of resonate with you yep. that you right. hear just throughout those calls. You know, and de- obviously smells are the big one too. Yeah, and this is this is the stuff that is, um, you know, now y'all are. Graduating today, most of you. No, I'm just <laughs> Sorry, Chris. So, yeah, you might have to do a little repeat course there. But, um, you know, that you guys, and again, I'm going to have to learn from y'all, and I think the PD guys and the law enforcement guys in here are learning a lot about fire that they didn't know either, and y'all are learning things about them and hearing their stories and what they go through and stuff that you're going to be able to, you're going to be far better equipped to get out here and deal with than I am especially in the fire world, because I, I didn't live in it um, like I did in law enforcement. And so you guys are going to be the ones to be able to educate people about things. It's not about them having to come sit on my couch for six hours. Some may need to. Well, I think that the biggest obstacle is, is getting over the um, stigma of recognizing you need help and then seeking it. And it's okay. Yeah. But... Like I said earlier, like you can't, at least in the fire culture, you cannot 
under any circumstances show weakness whatsoever. Sure. Because you will be crucified. Right. We're just as bad in PD. But, Same exact thing. Yeah. But for you to be able to say retired mm -hmm. and at the level that you were, and even for you guys who are not retired but at the level that you are, to be able to say, I know how difficult that is. You don't want anyone to know. I had that same fear. And here's what I did. Here's where I went. Sure. Here's the starting point. Because the young ones coming up, they don't have a clue. And they're even more sucked up because they're still wide-eyed like, oh, God, what have I got? They're watching Chicago in? Fire. When do I get to repel upside down? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and it's going to take those of you with experience and time on to be able to tell them, even if you pull them outside or meet them in a bar, don't y'all have bars and stuff too that they all fire and PD go to? We used to, <laughs> it's not, it's not politically correct anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think that needs to start at the academy level. I agree. Um, I think they have to know what they're getting into because yep. up until that point, they don't. Right. They think they do, but they have no idea what they're getting into. And neither do their wives or husbands or spouses mm -hmm. or um, kids, anybody. I think that education needs to be done right up front. And I think if it is, and it includes um, family members, spouses, mm -hmm. I think we can save a lot of marriages. I agree. Um, I, th I burned through a marriage um, during my career. And now after getting some distance from it, I can, I know exactly why. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it was primarily my fault, but it was things that were occurring, things that I was doing, bad perspectives that I had because I wasn't getting the sleep I needed. Sure. So I had a war perspective, I had a bad perspective. I made bad choices because of a bad perspective. And then from those bad choices came bad consequences, which created more stress, which made it even harder to sleep, which created this huge snowball effect. Sure. It's a road you just can't get off once you get on yeah. if you don't right. have help. But you, don't, you don't even right. realize right. that's what's going on. Yeah. You know, and then, um, you know, I'd come home and my wife would have had a bad day. And it immediately became a competition. It's like, oh, really? You yeah. think you had a bad day? Let me tell you, <laughs> let about, me tell you this, about Let me tell you about this kid that died. Let me, sure. you know, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that, you know? So I would never let her have a bad day and that's completely unfair. Um, but then I think after a while there were changes in me that she didn't understand. Sure. Um, that I wasn't aware of myself. Sure. From lack of sleep, from the things that I'd seen. Um, it's like your kids. You're with them every day, and the grandparents come out and see them in six months. Go, good gosh, look how much he's grown, and you're going, huh? Because you're with them every day, right? So people from the outside can see that those changes, and I think it's, you know, I think it sounds all cool and exciting that you know you're going to be gone 48 hours and then home. And if I've had TV on, and you know y'all hadn't gone into burning buildings, and because everything you do is not on the news, right? And Man, you've been partying and eating at the firehouse for 48, and I've been home with two kids with the flu or chickenpox or whatever, and now you think you're going to come in here and you're going to go, no, right. absolutely not. I want my 48 hours. Right. You know, yep. and it's a lack of understanding of what the job really and truly is. Right. And especially if they watch Chicago Fire, because, again, 
everything you do should be on here because it is on there. <laughs> I know you guys are having sex in the fire station. <laughs> we know the truth. <laughs> well, and I mean, I did the same thing with mine. You know, if I went by the office and he was sitting behind the desk with his feet propped up, drinking a cup of coffee, BSing with all the other narcotics people, there was no big drug bust. You know, it took me a little while to figure out. Sometimes these things take years to happen. <laughs> right. So that must be what you do all day. So let me tell you what I've been doing all day, you know. And it, and then he would assume that because he came home at lunch one day and the kids were swimming in the pool and I'm hanging outside, that must be what I do all day. Of course. Sure, eating bonbons on the couch, watching soap that, operas. That's Absolute, what you did. It is. <laughs> I don't know who he thought did all the other stuff. But anyway, but it is, it's a lack of teaching people from the front end about the importance of the communication of the jobs. Absolutely. And you have to do that and not this still concept of personal and professional separate. Can't do it. Sure right. it would be nice if we could get to all these academies and explain this Wouldn't that at the be beginning. Nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I think and that's, unless and until you do that, yes. this, it's going to continue to happen. Yes. The divorce rate's going to continue to be through the roof. Sure. Um, families are going to be broken. We're setting it up for failure right, right. off the bat. Right. We are. And and the sad part to me is, I mean, I've even offered to come into y'all's academy for free. You know, and you can't give it away. So should I be charging $100,000 and suddenly they see there's value in it? I don't know. Try I'm it. willing to try it. If y'all think you can get 100000 for me, I'll come. I'll give you eight hours. <laughs> <That deal. laughs> and, but, you know, it's because we see the importance of it. And we do, I have taught at Phoenix PD Academy. I have not taught, I, don't, I haven't taught in a fire academy ever. I don't Me think. either. Well, I know you haven't. You're not allowed. <laughs> you're, you're the other side of the picture. Um, but I, I'm with you. We've got to start to make those changes at that level. And yeah. hopefully you guys are ones, again, I know you felt like you tried and failed. You didn't try and fail to get this program in. It just took a long time. But you planted that initial seed. And it took others picking it up and going along and carrying it out. Took us, what, eight years? At least, yeah. Yeah. And it was, again, we were willing to see everybody anyway because we wanted more people supporting the concept you had presented. Yeah. And we know that. We, we're not stupid after 30 years to think somebody's just going to suddenly go, oh, my God, it's Susan Simmons. Please open the door and let her in and let her do what she wants to do, and we're going to listen to everything she has to say. But it was, it was frustrating because, yes. you know, like as a firefighter, you know, as I said earlier, like you get so used to solving somebody else's problem, whatever the problem is, it doesn't yep. matter, uh, 20 minutes or less. And then it's on to the next one. It's like, what do you mean eight years? Like, what? I'm handing you the answer. It's right here. Just do it. Like, no, no, no. We got to, no, that's. We got to study this. <laughs> yeah. We got to create a committee to look at this. Yep. We committee. didn't get the committee formed. <laughs> it's frustrating. But it did happen. And again, it started because of you. It started because of Chris and. Um, it, you know, it, again, it's an honor for us, and we're just excited to have y'all in this stress coach certification because I think you're going to be the ones who can propel this forward. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the company is here to support and back up whatever you need, and we'll meet with whoever you want us to meet with. And, uh, you know, if we don't help but one person in yeah. 30 years. Well, I think you've already helped you know, much we've, more we've than that. We've accomplished what we set out to because I'm not yeah. crazy enough 
as I was in the beginning. I was going to fix every first responder in this country and their families, and you just asked me. I was going to do it. Um, I didn't just start in Alabama or at Montgomery. I was like, heck no, we're going full swing here. That's, that's not crazy. That's delusional. <laughs> it's called young and stupid. Is what it's called. And in 30 years, I've finally come around to the realization, all right, Susan, you have limitations. <laughs> and you're going to do what you can do. And if I help one and that one helps five and those five help and whatever you know that movie pay it forward says it all right that's what it's about you guys are going to be far more effective and far more reaching than i ever will be because again you already have the credibility and the ethos you're like the ultimate pyramid scheme (laughs) (laughs) with no money involved zero money involved Just the most valuable thing you have, and that's your time. <laughs> Didn't say it was a get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> we only have one person in this class who's not delusional, and maybe we'll get him on this podcast. That's right. <laughs> and we're all, we all got our fingers crossed for him. That's right. Given what he says he's going to do for Under the Shield. So, um, yeah, go ahead. But I think, um, you know, what you do and what you continue to do, and the people that are get help and get readjusted and, and back on the rails. I think that all speaks to Chris Farrar's legacy. And, it does. Um, and I think that legacy will outlive his name. Yes. Um, so it, I hope he's aware. Of oh, I, I assure you he's up there patting himself on his back <laughs> and going, look what I'm doing. So, and he still messes with me. I'm just telling y'all, he does. There's yeah. still things missing in my house <laughs> that he has hidden or continues to hide. I'm not sure. <laughs> and my, bark, uh, my dog does tend to bark at things that aren't there. I'm sure it's him also poking at her because they had this special relationship. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like there, there's a song um, called Scars in Heaven. And they talk, and and I said I could have written that song for Chris, and it talks about all of his his journeys, and it was a rough road, and what it took for him to get there, but all of his um, his wounds have been healed, and it talks about he has run his race, yeah. and then it talks about from my perspective that I will continue to run that race and fight that fight that he fought. Mm-hmm. And so I'm more motivated and driven than ever before because I want his legacy. It meant this, this under the shell meant the world to Chris and he meant the world to us. And so this week, truly, and I hadn't had a chance to tell all of you this, but the reality is this week has rejuvenated my desire and my drive to see you guys being invested in doing this because it can get lonely on this side, fighting that fight continuously, especially without Chris, especially in the six months I haven't had him. He was the one who'd come in and go, eh, put in your big girl pants, pick them up, let's go. You know, this <laughs> you ain't going to sit around here and moke about this. <laughs> and um, so that's what this group has done for me and to keep this thing going and his legacy and his memory. And that's what we'll all do every day. I think one of the things that uh, I was said as eulogy, um, I think, by the pastor in closing was um, that, like you said, he had finished the race and mm-hmm. you could say, well done. Absolutely. But I think that's an incredible understatement yes. for mm-hmm. what he's done and what has come out of his struggles. Um, I'm sure when he was going through it, it wasn't fun. Um, yeah. It wasn't fun and he couldn't foresee 
nope. all the good that it, that would come from it. Yep. But um, and neither could anybody else. Right. Truthfully, I had no idea where it would end up. Yeah. Yeah, but it it has, and it's it's um, it's made a tremendous positive impact on not just PD but fire yeah. and first responders in general. So. Um, well, it's like the officers who thought he should not return to work. And he even overcame all of that to the point, again, where he was he was someone they didn't want there. They didn't want him out there. And then at his funeral to hear that he was the most decorated in the history of Channel Police uh-huh. Department and the most respected. It shows you just where he came in eight years. That's, that's huge. Right. Uh, that's a very short time. He was 51 years old. And I think that's why he could have the impact on people because they went from he doesn't need to be a cop to him proving them wrong that he had done the work he needed to do. Right. And got to that place which says anybody can that puts the work in. Right. They just have to be given the tools. Sure. Because all of you are only as good as the tools that you have in your jobs even. Mm. When you think about, again, if we only have a fire truck, a hose, and an axe, you can be pretty limited on what you can do. Well, it's, you know, you can be a paramedic, but you're not a paramedic without, you know, an EKG, without your drug box, without your airway equipment. Sure, you can have all the knowledge, but if you can't. Right, if you can't apply it. Yes, that's the key. Irrelevant. Yes, and I think that's a huge part of what Chris did show, that everybody can do it if they're willing to do the work. Right. And not just walk away. So as we wrap this up, I think we're going to wrap up this episode here, number 51. It's been a really good one. I'm really honored to have you guys in class and to have you on the podcast. Nobody's following us. Save the best for last. <laughs> Nobody's following you today. It, it, would be a, it would be another episode. <laughs> it would be another episode. Absolutely. But we do, we do thank you. We appreciate you guys and gals and everything that you're doing and everybody out there listening. And uh, we just ask you to share this podcast all over. Let's get the word out there. Um, Our phone number, toll-free, 24 hours, is 855-889-2348. My cell is 334-324-3570. Tom, you brave enough to give yours out? Well, I did already once, so might as well keep going, right? (laughs) If if you'd like to contact me for any reason, uh, feel free. I can be reached at 480-861-6574. And Jay will put our emails in there also in the uh, context of this. And if you are fire and you would rather talk to one of these three, call us. We'll get you in touch with them. Uh, won't hurt my feelings a bit to be able to pass the call on to somebody <laughs> till I learn more about this group because I'm going to learn. I'm going to be in there bugging them to death and on fire trucks and maybe they'll let me hold the axe or something. Wouldn't that be <laughs> That'd well, be really dangerous. <laughs> I just want to thank you for uh, um, dedicating yourself to a life of poverty so you can help us. <laughs> it's I appreciated. Yeah, but I'm headed that direction. And again, Phoenix PD has already got the one picked out for me. And, you know, they'll bring me water and food every now and then. So I, I have great visions and dreams of my future. <laughs> but now there's just no population I have more respect for than our first responders and families. And I think you deserve a whole lot more than what you get. And it shows who you are and the fact that y'all don't get paid big bucks. 
to do these jobs either, and you spend a lot of time from your away from your families. And we like to appreciate the sacrifices families make because it is a sacrifice uh, that they do for you to be able to do what I think you've been called to do. And that's why we're here, so families can call also. The same numbers, 24-7. You will get someone, and we are not a referral resource program. You're going to get us. Um, and we do not send out people to do welfare checks. <laughs> if you call us suicidal, as some of the suicide hotlines do, as we have them no reason. Didn't know that. Um, not a criticism. Again, we just do things differently. We'll never ask your name. We'll never ask who you work for. Um, and we want to ask families to give us that information because that's really not what's important. What's important is you're reaching out. There's somebody there to help. And, and willing to. Yes. So thank you for what you do. Again, God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. And thank you guys for being willing to participate on this. We'll have you back. Can't wait. Let's do it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Susan.